0: Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out, demystifying HR and people management. I'm your host, Susan Nay. Today, we're going to talk about building and maintaining workplaces where people are treated respectfully and where any allegations of behavior that feels like bullying, harassment, or a violation of one's protected human rights Are effectively handled in a timely manner, and what happens when this isn't a reality in our workplaces. I've invited professional speaker, consultant, trainer, and author Stephen Hammond to join me today. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, Susan. Thank you for saying yes. Now, you've fairly recently published your newest book, The New Norm, A Manager's Guide to Improving Workplace Behavior and in keeping out of legal hot water. Now, this is your third book. I've just read it and it's excellent. But I've also recently reread your first book, Managing Human Rights at Work, 101 Practical Tips to Prevent Human Rights Disasters, and it too is excellent. Now, I know I missed one in the middle. Uh, Perhaps we could start by you telling us a little bit about the one in the middle and a little about your passion in helping support welcoming workplaces
1: sure well um i had to call this out this is the one in the middle it's called okay. steps in the rights direction oh cool it's a little play on on terms and it's um uh, the subtitle is 365 human rights celebrations and tragedies that inspired canada and the world and actually i was really um quite thrilled alex neave the mo- just recently Um, stepped down, retired as head of Amnesty International Canada, he actually wrote the foreword for it. And so the difference between that book and these two books, Mm -hmm. which is my most recent one, The New Norm, I don't even have the most recent um, uh, cover because I I changed this cover years ago. And because I'm out of these, I'm out of the Managing Human Rights book. um, I don't even, I'm not even sure where I can find one of the most recent one, but I sold a lot of them. So that was a good thing. So the, the Steps in the Right Direction was very different than the other two books because it was, it's, it's like a coffee table book. Um, it's, it's like something you'd buy someone for a birthday or a gift of some kind because for every, every day of the year, I researched one human rights fact that took place. And so about 60% uh, of the book is Canadian content, a lot of American stuff, but actually the other 40%... Is, is not just the States, but it's actually different events that have happened throughout the world. And just like the subtitle, some of them are celebrations, things that we're pretty happy about or that have been progress and others were setbacks. And uh, you, know, you, you take something like um, 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 Viola Desmond, um, you know, she's now on the new $10 bill and, um, and yet she lost. You know, she, we now look at her as someone who is willing to fight the good fight for being discriminated and dragged, literally dragged out of the theater in um, Nova Scotia many, many years ago, and she fought it and, and lost and then eventually moved to New York and died relatively young about the age of 50. But there are, but but you know, she was one of a number of people who who actually um, paved the way for others to have greater success in their claims of discrimination. and we we recognize that. So that was an interesting book for me. I didn't do a very good job of of sort of the promoting of it. i I wrote two thousand, sorry, I printed two thousand or had two thousand printed, and then I sold out of those. but it's it's actually my favorite book because it is, it is just so interesting and it's, it's very personal issues. I even was able to put my mom in there uh, because she was quite a feminist and and a politician. um, And so I was able to put her, uh, I think her date of birth, but I never actually gave the year because she always kept it a secret, which is, really (laughs) funny. but that's another story. But anyway, so that's, that's what the steps in the right direction. So you won't be able to get it anywhere uh, because it's sold out, but you know, maybe someone is is selling it secondhand. I'd love, I'd like to actually write another one about um, to follow up on this actually, um, maybe I hope, when I retire someday.
0: Oh, I hope you do, because what I find is that through your books, you make learning about those cases instead of reading huge, you know, the actual awards that are often hundreds of pages, you very succinctly, um, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about how you do some of your training, so I'll, I'll save that for later, but I do sure. love the way that you, uh, you share your learning, and, and you're right, you know, these people that have paved the way for, for others through their actions. But what about, and what about you? Um,
1: but, well, you were your, asking and your, about your passion. passion in helping people. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't, I'm,
1: I'm not sure. You know, it's, I, I think a, a big compliment I got years, years ago, was someone said, oh, in high school, Stephen, you were so nice. And I said, really? I don't recall it being that way. But I think um, the values that I got from my parents I might sound corny, but the values that I got from my parents about being a good neighbor. And, you know, like even if a neighbor is sort of a pain, um, no, no, you know, you you have to work with what um, what people are willing to give. And 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 so issues. My mom was a real feminist. And and it was interesting because a lot of people think feminists, let's say, have to be on the left. Well, it's not like she was on the right, but she was a progressive conservative. And so she was um, quite a staunch feminist. Um, within the party when she was a member of the legislature in Manitoba. So I learned a lot about issues of inequality, and I got to see how, how uh, they had an impact on her and how mom would fight back. And, uh, and she would, like she would make her opinions mm-hmm. uh, very well known. And yet and, and yet at the same time, she knew what are the things that she could push on and what are the things that she had to get some allies or some support in that mm-hmm. way. And so then when I started, when I went to law school, I thought I would do corporate commercial work and it just wasn't for me. And, you know, nothing wrong with lawyers who do corporate commercial work, but I found it uh, just a little too boring. Um, And so I went back into something that I knew, which was human resources and labor relations and employee relations. And I even did that after I got called to the bar. And so it was from there that I realized that there was an awful lot of problems going on in the workplace. And so I would institute training for the, um, for the employers that I actually worked for to help the managers and the supervisors, as well as the employees, to have a better understanding of what are your rights and responsibilities and what protections do you have.
0: Wow. You know, it's interesting when you say uh, somebody saying to you that you were nice. I was just in a workshop and that's exactly the question they asked us is that, you know, what were you complimented for? in your earlier years, you know, especially when it was out of the blue and to go back and look at that, because that's often when people are struggling with, you know, who am I and what should I be doing as a career path? Those are really good signals, so interesting. And uh, yeah, no wonder with your background that you have taken the path that you've taken. I'm going to tell a little bit more about your, your background for our listeners, because you obviously come to this area very uh, well-experienced and educated So you earned your Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Manitoba and your Bachelor of Law's degree from Osgoode Hall Law Law School. Well, that's a tongue twister. (laughs) You then worked as the executive director of one of Manitoba's political parties. And you've mentioned that you worked in human resources and specialized in employee and labor relations. you worked in both the private and the public sectors. And although you're not currently practicing law, you do remain a member of the Law Society of BC. On your profile, you also noted that you were arrested in Poland, accused of being a spy for the West. I think that should be the topic of your next book. Um, I just, I always find, and we're not going to get into that because I do want to keep this focused on bullying (laughs) and harassment. Um, But I just, I always find fascinating where people come from and and what prompted them into their careers. So thank you for sharing earlier. I'm going to move to how we met. And unless there was something else that you wanted to share, just on your background before we move on.
1: Um, actually, just the it was it was it was rather interesting when I learned how many mistakes, not sorry, not mistakes, how many problems people are running into. And then I just and I just thought someone's got to fill this void. And, oh. and, and there's been a lot of training that has gone on, and that's what I spend most of my time is as a, a trainer for particularly management and then also keynote speeches and whatnot and and the the thing is that it's i don't mind saying it it still surprises me that these issues are going on i mean like truly surprises me as a matter of fact when i when i wrote the new norm i literally wrote it with the introduction saying i can't believe this stuff is going on so here's these 35 chapters four pages each I look at either a case or a number of issues or high profile stuff. And then I say, okay, this was the old norm. This is the new norm. This is how you need to move mm-hmm. on. And, and so that, that seems to just continually be something that I see in my line of work or when I'm reading in the newspapers, um, I guess old fashioned, reading in the newspapers online or in, in print, that there's so many examples of these things that are going on. So it's, it's I will tragically, I will retire from this work and there still will be an enormous amount of problems that people are dealing with. And and I say tragically, because by rights, we shouldn't have to do this.
0: Oh, I agree with you completely. And that's a perfect segue to talking about why we met. And that was when I hired you to work with the team at the district of West Vancouver uh, many years ago now. Um, And I was so impressed with the, how you teach. I so vividly remember somebody questioned you about a matter and you clearly saying, it's law, get over it. <laughs> you actually mentioned that in your book. And you, you really do help individuals and organizations, uh, as you call it, the, the new norm, um, with understanding how some of these, these practices just have to stop. We have to be creating these respectful workplaces, what are the kinds of comments and questions that you, you get from your students? Like, have they changed over the years or, or are you still dealing with a lot of the same stuff?
1: Well, unfortunately, still dealing with a lot of the same stuff, but, but things have improved. And I have seen it because I've been doing this work for almost 30 years. And then when you consider employer relations, labor relations and law before that, uh, that's, uh, that's at least 35 years where I've been in this area. So I've seen things that have improved quite a bit. And, and yet it still surprises me when others are still clinging on to issues or, or, or I guess I, if I give people the benefit of the doubt that they're still struggling with these issues, it's like, okay, all right, you know, you're struggling, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. So whenever I have, whenever I'm, I, I'm leading a group and it's, no, actually any size of group that I might be um, facilitating or, or giving um, some education to, I always am very clear to say, nothing is out of balance. You get to bring up whatever you want, because Mm -hmm. if this is in your head, then, and you're not telling me about it, then there's no way that I can address it. Now, you might still, um, you might disagree with what I have to say, but at least I've explained it to you. So at least, uh, at least you know where it's coming from, whether you agree with it, um, that's up to you. I mean, I always, I always say to, to groups, I say, I give you the information, what you do with it is up to you. It's strictly mm-hmm. up to you, and and you can decide how you're going to do. And and it's interesting because if I ask people what are still challenges and barriers on a regular basis, language comes up as a huge issue. Mm. Um, the ability for people to speak English, if they if English is um, not their first language, and so English is a second or third language for them, um, that. You know people will struggle with this and so the whole issue of language and therefore communicating effectively with people comes up a lot now the vast majority of people coming to canada do not have english as their first language mm-hmm. and so that means that we also have to get over that concern that if you think you're looking for the perfect queen's english you're not going to find it from a lot of people but these are intelligent people and the difficulty is if people uh, don't have english as their first language There's lots of our stereotypes, which we'll think that person isn't as smart as we are. The person can have two PhDs um, from um, Spain or from India or from China or these other places. And our heads will think, well, if you can't, if you can't talk perfectly to me in English, then you're not as smart, which of course is not true, but it's easy for our stereotypes to go in that direction. So, you know, I say, look, communication is really important. And I work with um, a number of industries where safety is huge. So if you feel politically incorrect to ask someone to repeat themselves, you could be putting yourself and someone else in danger. So I don't say to people, oh no, just put up with communication problems. I say, find a way to uh, try to address them.
0: Mm-hmm. So it
1: could be that you ask the person another question, or or it could be that someone needs more language skills, more English language skills, and that would that would be something either they can get on their own or maybe their workplace mm-hmm. will provide for them. So that's something um, because we have so many immigrants that are coming to the country, and we need immigrants to replace mm-hmm. our aging population. We are we're like you know so many other countries, not just Western countries, but all kinds of countries around the world. And so we need more immigrants. And yet, when you come here and give it up, like consider someone coming from Afghanistan and Mm -hmm. coming to Canada. And and, and and think of the reverse, right? If we were leaving Canada and mm-hmm. went to Afghanistan and didn't know the language and the culture and knew no one, or, you know, so you're going to find other people who can speak your language. You're going to find other people who are part of your community, where you can learn, where do you get um, clothing that you might particularly like, food that you like. Um, if you have religion that's different than other people, then where can you go and find that? So the whole notion of people integrating, well, if you want them to integrate great, then make sure that you help them out, be good neighbors, be good coworkers and help in the process. And so, you know, those are some of the issues. Also us holding on to our stereotypes. We all have stereotypes, but if you're holding on to them and you're not letting them go, big issue. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are going on as far as challenges still, but but we've come a long way. And so you will also take anyone who is in a minority position. And that could be a person of color, for example. Um, it could be First Nations individual, or it could be someone who's uh, uh, transsexual or gay or lesbian. And I'm finding that that a number of people are now wanting to speak up and assert themselves, just questions their abilities, not based on their true abilities, but based on a characteristic that they have no ability to change.
0: That empathy piece is so, so important of... Really trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And uh, yeah, those are really important considerations for uh, particularly those of us in human resources um, to be watching for and uh, that safety piece about is there another way of communicating? Um, are you seeing in the current case law, um, like what are the kinds of things that you're seeing that end up in the courts most frequently these days that that they we weren't able to resolve through you know through more informal processes.
1: Well, something that informal and formal is still going on is is the harassment, the bullying, um, sexual harassment. Again, to a lot of people's surprise, I think everyone expected after Harvey Weinstein was thrown into jail and that was all exposed in the New york times and and other publications, and the Me Too movement really took off at that point. I think a lot of people expected that um, people expected that that uh, we we've already made so much progress on this. But you know, and something that we're seeing is um, has come from um, Donald Trump, for example. But I, I remember when I was giving um, a presentation and he was just the nominee for the Republican Party, and I said, you know. I, if I said, if this guy gets in as president, the things he said already are so vulgar and rude and disrespectful and just downright horrible. And then so we saw that, you know, when people thought, oh, well, he'll change when he's president. And he did not. And as a matter of fact, he doubled down on that. So when you've got someone who some people might consider as the most powerful person on the planet, you know, being president of the United States, whether you agree with that or not, um, that allowed for a number of people to think you can just carry on with this behavior. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter whether the person's Republican or Democrat in the United States or conservative or liberal or NDP or green here in Canada, I'm not picking on a party as opposed to <clears throat> you had this individual who really sort of rele- allowed people to release these things, and I saw a lot more people who found that hey if this guy can say this stuff and get away with it, then mm. I, I should be able to as well, or that mm. I think that I can get away with it. So that's something that is still going on. Um, something else that um, is, is a big change is is um, the notion of accommodating persons based on disabilities, including mm. mental health. So that that is now something that people are, uh, people with disabilities, whether physical disabilities or mental health issues, Uh, A lot more people are asserting their rights. And I'm not saying it's everywhere, but Mm -hmm. it's just um, there's more and more of these cases. And the stats actually show that in the human rights across the country, that a lot more people are saying, no, you you can't deny me this opportunity. You need to accommodate me where it is possible, where it can be done. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big shift that has been happening over the last several years. And it has caught a lot of employers off guard, meaning Mm -hmm that it's costing them a lot in the settlement, um, or, or, or sorry, the, the the court award or the human rights award. And had they spent the time just to work with the people, um, it would have been a lot less costly, and you wouldn't have to pay those expensive lawyers mm-hmm. and consultants mm-hmm. and others like that. And another big one is family status. Uh, family status was put in, and it was really um, you know, I, I hope I'm correct in this, but I remember it was especially important for issues of um, uh, rental or ownership for accommodations and to make sure that you don't deny someone to family um, to to move into an apartment building or to buy a condo, for example, something along those lines. And, and then the courts said, nope, family status is not just about having a family, but also about how um, you actually have to Um, deal with your family or what you have to do with your family. And so that could be that the work shifts don't allow you to get proper daycare. And, and, you know, most people work it, work it out. And, and for a lot of working parents, it's, it's an enormous amount of work on their part to juggle all this stuff. And, and you've got parents who will be um, having different shifts and so they hardly see one another, but just to yeah, make sure you yeah. can look after the kids. So this is another area, a big change that I'm noticing in the last few years is, is um, people saying uh, where, there's, where the, you've got a policy or procedure and it comes into conflict with my issue of my family, then you have to accommodate me, um, you, you know, unless it comes
0: down to undue hardship. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about undue hardship and some of the further questions that I've got for you. I'm gonna move to the emotions involved in in some of these. And I just, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about um, a firefighter who was terminated and through a grievance process was actually offered his job back, but he had to apologize for really what was some inappropriate behavior that he had um, been doing in the workplace. He wouldn't apologize and didn't apologize. And he ended up taking both the employer and the union through an arbitration process, through an arbitral review, and two court processes where every one of them confirmed the employer's decision was an appropriate one to do the termination. Mm-hmm. The union couldn't convince him that his behaviors were inappropriate, and he, you know, really just all we'd asked for was an apology and not doing that behavior anymore. Emotions run so high in these matters. And, you know, and I know that that was part of what was going on for this gentleman um, through his processes. Any tips that that you can give to people, either the respondent or the complainant, um, about managing the emotions involved when, you know, when you are alleging a violation or you're the recipient of notification that you're the respondent in in a case?
1: Well, all of this stuff is personal. And someone who's a lawyer by trade, but I haven't practiced in a long, long time, and yet I'm around the law all the time. And one of the things that is just so obvious that I say to people is you can litigate anything and that can be starting with a grievance that could go to an arbitration. And and so that is a legal process, or it could be through the courts or a combination of those things, which sounds like the example that you're giving. You can do that and you can be right, but the personal toll is huge. It's gigantic. And so I am not discouraging people from making formal complaints and getting justice where they need to do it. Excuse me. But you have to realize, even if you are right, It will affect every weekend, every birthday, every Christmas or Hanukkah or Eid or or any any vacation. You will be thinking about this the whole time. Mm -hmm. So. So. So, again, I don't want to take anyone take the impression that I'm not saying, you know, don't fight for your rights. Do so. Mm -hmm. But if you can try to, you know, go that further step to try to um, deal with it um, informally, um, or if it goes formal, it doesn't go. It doesn't go too far, then, then. that's going to be a lot easier on you because it just takes this emotional toll. Mm-hmm. And and I have seen people. It might even be something in you know to do with residential tenancy, not to do with the workplace. And it's something in which oh, there's an arbitration. It'll be you know it'll be done with soon. And yet it is all consuming. It's it's all you think about. So where you can, I just encourage all parties. To try to, um, to try to come to compromise if necessary. Mm-hmm. Sometimes compromise isn't what you're looking for. It's not like, okay, the compromise is <clears throat> Stephen gets to harass you a little bit and you'll put up with it, but he can't go too far. So mm-hmm. sometimes you can't have a compromise on something that is truly wrong. Um, in the process that people are dealing with, if for example, you were saying with a firefighter, is um, the unions own the grievance. The individual member of the union does not own the grievance. That is something that they take forward. And if you disagree with your union, then you can go to the labor board and and, and go through that process if you want to. And and I've got examples of cases um, all over the place. So because you brought up fire, I'll I'll give you another example. This got into the news and it was a captain of of a fire department who said something just outrageous just the kind of stuff that I would never I mean your podcast would be pulled if I actually said what this guy said (laughs) and he just thought it was the simplest thing to say and the interesting thing is as opposed to firing him um the captain said all right to his deputy I want you to look at this because maybe you know I'm too close to it or something and I to look at it and they said instead of firing him they were going to bring him back but it um it was docking pay a little bit and then he was demoted for a, a few months and this guy fought it all the way. Now he has every right to do it. He lost. Cause it was just absolutely outrageous. Again, what he said, just mm-hmm. I cannot emphasize enough. And I, I first got this from the news. So here's an interesting thing. This guy retired. And so every person will know what he said and his grandkids will know if they, if they Google grandpa, they will know what he said mm-hmm. in, in, in this particular instance that was so outrageous. So this was an example of him digging in his heels and now the whole world knows the horrible stuff that he said. And so I just say to people, don't dig in your heels. It's the easiest thing that you can do is to dig in your heels and that's not going to get you anywhere. So when you need to apologize, apologize. And, but you, you can't take the emotion out of these things. The law is, is to take emotion out of this. And the lawyers and the judges and the arbitrators and the adjudicators, they will do their best to take the emotion out of it. You won't take the emotion out of it.
0: Yeah, your yeah. emotion
1: is this is personal. This is something that is uh, affecting me. Either someone's making an accusation towards me, or or you are the person who is um, having to deal with these inappropriate behaviors. So it's it's not easy to take the emotion out of it. The legal process will will try to deal with it on the facts, on mm-hmm. the issues, um, but it's always going to be a very emotional
0: issue that people are dealing with. Yeah, and a good message to do everything we. Possibly can to get that resolved as quickly as possible at the lowest level, you know, in the procedural chain as possible. Yeah, at the earliest level. Yeah, yeah. I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the services that you offer. Um, One of which is an online modular training program that you call the Respectful Workplace Eliminating Harassment, Bullying and Discrimination in Canada. Now, each of the modules is 10 minutes and includes a big mistake an important tip, a quiz that refreshes on key points, and the relevant Canadian legal cases on the area discussed. Um, Now, an example in module one that I picked up on was, think beyond yourself. Can you share a little bit more about this particular tip for our listeners?
1: Sure. This is just where I encourage people to um, try to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think you already mentioned that a moment mm-hmm. ago. And it's, it's not always easy to do that, um, but that if we just think of uh, from our own perspective, well, you know, I don't have a problem with that comment or, or I don't have any difficulty with the way that I'm being treated. Well, that's fine. It might be okay for you, but for another person, that might not be the case. And especially, you know, you take a um, white guy like me, nothing wrong with white guy, I'm, I am. But the thing is that there's not a lot you can say to me that is going to be really hurtful just about the fact that I'm a white guy. Now, I'm married to a man for you know, the last uh, 14 years. And and so if you were to um, make comments about my sexuality or about my partner, for example, or anything like that, um, then that's something where it's, it's, it could hurt, for example, where that could have an impact. But if you are in a position of privilege, then and and so you you don't understand what it's like to be a woman, or if you're a woman, you don't understand what it's like to be a person of color. Um, try to understand what that's all about, because I think it's very easy for a lot of people to roll their eyes and think, "Oh, things have gone too far." Well, yeah, there's a few examples where things have gone too far, but that pendulum has not has not moved to the point that we have eliminated discrimination, harassment, bullying, and and, and inappropriate behaviors. It, it's still going on in in so many different workplaces so the thing is that if you can just try to understand what it feels like when a joke or comment is made and you just think oh come on get over it it's not that big of a deal ask the person why it is a big deal mm-hmm. i mean i remember many many years ago talking to a african-american fellow in the states met at a conference and we were chatting about a number of things and and somehow archie bunker came up now I'm, you know, dating myself, but he was younger than me, but he knew about Archie Bunker, and and uh, he said, I'm, he said I don't find any humor in that. I said, well, you don't understand. They were also making fun of Mike Stivic and you know being a liberal and Archie and 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 you know when we saw Archie, everyone was laughing sort of at him and. And he says, Stephen, he says, you're not going to convince me that um, I'm supposed to find this humorous. And that was a really interesting thing, because when I looked at Archie Bunker, I was laughing at him. You know, they were making fun of a guy who was this bigot. um, And yet he's just saying, sorry, you know, I, I just don't see it that way. I find it offensive, all the different things that they were talking about. So try to understand what it's like for another person. What's it like for them living in this country? Um, and, and, and by the way, you know, they might be third, fourth generation Canadian. And yet, does someone look at them differently because of the color of their skin or because of a disability or because of their sexual orientation or anything along those lines?
0: And wow, kudos to uh, your colleague for instead of because it's so easy to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead saying, no, I, you're not going to convince me. And that was more than twi-
1: yeah, that was about 25 years ago, and I still remember it. And, yeah, it, was, and yeah. it was a good light; it was a great light bulb for me. Yeah, that uh, that went on.
0: Yeah, and we do that, you know, yeah. especially in a nice way when you know it wasn't argumentative, but just I, you're not going to convince me. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the other modules. Module one does continue, and we talked a little bit about. Um, Uh, You used an example about controlling our libido, uh, being attentive to power relationships, and also to reactions to behaviors in several areas. Uh, And there's been lots of publicity around all of those in the past few months. Now, you continue with Module 2, more details about sexual harassment in Canada, and Module 3, gray areas and what is not sexual harassment uh, in Canada. So obviously an area we need to be paying more attention to. I've I've worked in organizations for several decades and and have witnessed a lot of change. I was the HR advisor having to go around and ask people to take down the pinup calendars, and they were both the male pinup calendars and the female pinup calendars. And I know myself I've I've also used inappropriate language or words sometimes not being appropriately sensitive to their meaning, their impact, or their origin. And I know I'm not alone. We all continue to learn. And I think the heightened attention to what respectful looks like and feels like, as you're saying, is starting to make a positive difference uh, in the work that that you do, Um, and yet there's still some pushback. Uh, Any, just any, both on the the fact that you've got three modules on sexual harassment.
1: Yeah. Uh... And and the thing is, it's just still a big deal. It's still a big issue that's going on. And and there's a there's a lot of different reasons. When I said, you know, control your libido, there's some which is just because sexual harassment is a form of sex discrimination under the eyes of the Canadian law and or judges and adjudicators and whatnot. And and so it um it's it's one of these areas in which someone will just think, oh. Um, this person likes me, or I think there's an attraction of some kind. And when you've got, I remember seeing, I don't know exactly how accurate it is, but um, I remember seeing something that said um, at least 30% of uh, couples who get married or have long-term relationships met in the workplace. So it's not like we can say you can't have any relationship with someone in the workplace, but it's gotta be mutual. And I think lots of times they'll think, Oh, you know, years later, um, you're Telling the grandkids, oh, grandma, you know, uh, didn't like me at first, but I persevered. And, and those are interesting for mom, pa, kettle, or something along those lines, but it's, it can get you into a lot of trouble. So mm-hmm. if there is something mutual uh, with another individual, then fine, you know, pursue it and then just decide are there things that you need to put into place? Because if, let's say, one's a supervisor um, or there's anywhere where there can be a conflict, then you just have to put it in place. It's not all, it's not romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, on how you deal with it, but believe me, if let's say the relationship sours, or if just other people think, well, you're giving favoritism to to this person who you're now dating, which mm-hmm. which can be very easy for people to see or it, or it appears to them whether there's truthful mm-hmm. or not. So that's one area of sexual harassment that is still going on, and and it's really interesting because you know I'm this old white guy, and. Um, And, you know, there's, there's, you know, a number of, actually, it doesn't even matter whether you're white, when you become an older guy, I think when anyone um, who you would be attracted to is just even polite to you, you think, oh, I still have it. And so, no, the person is probably just being polite to you. And don't take it as anything more than that. But maybe because as we get older, we don't have as many people who find us as attractive (laughs) as when we were younger. I know I'm making some generalizations here, but. But it's the kind of stuff in which, you know, maybe we're still looking for that. We're still looking for um, wanting to be attractive to other people. And we take that as a sign that there's something going on. Well, no, just because people are being polite to you, just be polite back. Mm -hmm. And so that's an area of sexual harassment that's going on. Another is still just discrimination against women. And about believing that if a woman can have a child or does have a child or is going to have a child, that will they be as committed in the job. And so that form of, um, of discrimination, that form of sexual discrimination is also a very big deal. But it's it's still, unfortunately, sexual harassment is still a, um, a big issue in a number of workplaces. And then if it's not as big, the other modules cover a lot of, of the other areas of Uh, discrimination and accommodation, those kind of things.
0: And I'm going to just talk about a little bit more about some of the other ones too. So module four, protections from all types of workplace behaviors in Canada. Module five, best practices to address inappropriate workplace behaviors in Canada. Module six, detailed information about harassment and bullying. Module seven is about get your fingers off your device, social media trouble and deals with social media and being careful with your posts and the potential damage of reputation to your employer, you note, and I'm gonna quote, slurs can produce a poisoned work environment which can constitute discrimination for the purposes of the Human Rights Code. And you also note that when you don't think that people will find out what you're saying or emailing, it's amazing what people will say and this can get you into trouble. Any quick examples from those cases?
1: Yes. Well, first of all, I I try to be extremely careful about anything that I send out. And I'm not big on social media, so it's not, yeah, the stuff that I send out for the most part is is hardly at all and, and really innocuous. But any email that I send out to people, I have to keep in mind, once it leaves my device, I don't get any say on where it goes. And as a matter of fact, I even had this conversation with a client um, um, just this week in which they were saying someone wants to get hold of um, some of your PowerPoint slides, which I use in an online presentation for them. And I say, look, obviously, I give it to you because you know, you're helping me with the process. But when it goes to someone else, they might take it out of context. It's not just about stealing my intellectual property, but they might take it out of context. And I don't have the ability to explain what is, let's say, on a slide. So I am extremely careful. I reread my emails when I send them out. Also text, um, mind you, you know, with friends, I banter back and forth and do send out stupid gifts and all those kind of things, which hopefully don't get me in trouble. But on, on anything else, I'm very careful about it. And the difficulty is that people are not taking those second sober thoughts about mm-hmm. what is going out. And I remember it was a number of years ago where I saw one of the first examples of a termination of employment being upheld. And this was a woman who worked in a care facility. And um, they were very strict about you're not supposed to um, uh, send out pictures of, of people who live in the facility. And then there was some disparaging comments that the woman had sent out, but she thought it was in a confidential area. So she thought it was restricted. And yet it wasn't that restricted. And so she felt she could say and do whatever she wants, basically going right to your point that you're asking me about. So once the employer found out about it, um, the woman was terminated and I was rather surprised that even though she was the sole provider of her family, she'd worked there for eight years, the arbitrator upheld the termination of her employment because they said it went to the reputation so badly, or sorry, it it harmed the reputation Mm -hmm. of the workplace so badly they said she couldn't come back and there's lots of times where you know they will be sympathetic from a personal Mm -hmm. standpoint and think okay i think you've learned your lesson let's give you a um, let's give you a suspension without pay and that will be the discipline that you will then learn and you'll never do it again and then there was one at dalhousie um, dental school where a few of the students were were saying these really disparaging comments about women in their class like really disparaging and again, it was supposed to be in this confidential, um, whatever part of I think it was Facebook or some other social platform. It got out, and it was not only national news. I believe it got international attention. Wow, wow! To the point where um, the dental, um, the um, dental professions in certain provinces said to Dalhousie, "We want to know who these students are." Because we want to have that as part of the consideration, if they choose to become dentists in our province, in our jurisdiction, it's just like the law society, um, the dental wow. profession has their own society, which governs um, mm-hmm. the behaviors or which governs the education and, and mm-hmm. the procedures mm-hmm. and everything. And, um, and they said, we want to know who they, who they are. Now, I can't remember whether they gave that because that might get to issues of privacy. But it also cost them a fortune in legal bills, the university when that got out in a PR firm. And and it was a huge, huge debacle of what went on. Uh, More recently, I saw a case at my old alma mater, York University, where I went to law school. And it was about this person who worked for the organization for 23 years. And he was just putting out things that he thought were just his own political thoughts, had nothing to do with his employer. And again, to my surprise, The arbitrator upheld the termination of employment. And so there's a lot of people who are maybe are not going to be happy about this because you're intruding on on my personal space, on my personal thoughts, and you might not be happy about it, but we got to understand this is the world we're living in now. And so anything you put out, if it has a negative impact on your employer or an association you belong to or anyone else, um, you might be kicked out of that workplace or that association. And so you just you just have to like just you know don't even if, especially if you're upset or, or you're responding really quickly, just be really careful. give it that sober thought and delete it. because yeah. at the end of the day you just have to think is this going to be worth it or not? Now, if you want to you know take on these issues really strongly and you feel very strongly about them, hey, you have the right to do that, but there also could be consequences.
0: Yeah, wow, well, thank you and excellent examples. Module 8 asks are you accommodating and it's about understanding the complex world and provides insights into the duty to accommodate which you've talked about a little bit earlier and once it can get us into hot water quite quickly if not handled appropriately um, when we talk about accommodation there's often the term to the point of undue hardship can you talk a little bit about and I know it varies but just a for our listeners, what is undue hardship?
1: Well, sort of the, um, the the starting spot for determining undue hardship came from a decision many years ago uh, by the Supreme Court of Canada. And it was one of the judges who actually said, it's kind of hard to say exactly what undue hardship is, because the idea is... If a policy or, or um, procedure or even a law, if it comes into conflict with a person's human rights, so that's not everything. Mm-hmm. But if it's one of the grounds, um, one of the protected grounds under human rights across Canada, if it comes into conflict with your human rights, the employer must accommodate them to the point of undue hardship. And so then this judge spelled out a number of things like the cost. um. Uh, there, was, there was five different categories. And uh, one of them would be cost. The other would be issues of um, safety. Something else would be uh, whether um, it's covered under collective agreement. Um, and that, auto- that wouldn't, again, automatically mean that it would be undue hardship. Um, it could be morale. And so there was, there was a number of criteria in which they had said that might constitute undue hardship. So you take something like um, a large employer, could be the royal bank it could be the uh university of toronto and um and they are going to have to let's say get a little bit less productivity out of a particular person because of an accommodation let's say um let's say to do with a religion um mm-hmm. or you know because of times that they need off for example or um, someone with a disability or family status and and they, or or there might be some costs associated with that Again, the University of Toronto, one of the big banks, they can probably absorb that. They're not a social mm-hmm. service agency, but they can absorb it. You get a mom and pop operation who owns a corner store or a small, um, or, or let's say they just need one particular person to help them with their landscaping business. And then suddenly they're saying, hey, I need all these times off. And and that could be an example in which you say, no, that's undue hardship. That's too much for them. And I'm not going to say that those are automatically going to be the circumstances, mm-hmm. but it's just that it, you have to look at every situation. We've had decades now of legal precedents, so there's a lot of guidelines which can help people out. And I don't mind saying in my first book, um, Managing Human Rights at Work, which is, I'm not plugging that one because it's, it's out of print now, but um, it was by far the most difficult chapter that I had to write when mm-hmm. I wrote about accommodations and and therefore also for this module, these modules is that you got to be really careful about not leading people in the wrong direction, but also being clear on the law, on what it is and what, that, what the law then means from a practical standpoint. And, and all it means is just overturn every rock, um, look everywhere for the accommodation. And there was an example from a few years ago of a school district in Ontario, a large school district, And they had this woman who, because of the job, the stress from the job, she went on stress leave. Mm -hmm. That ran out. The long and the short of it is that it went through uh, years of litigation. And they just said, um, no, we can't take her back in a supervisory position. Look, at she can't handle that stress. And then the end result was, I think, the back pay that they ended up having to pay for not getting any productivity out of this woman was over four hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Then they also had to pay, but the legal fees would have been massive because they kept on litigating it through, you know, mm-hmm. over fifteen years.
0: Wow, and this was
1: well, the, well, okay. She was offered fifteen years. It was about thirteen years of litigation, and um, so the legal bills would be massive.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then you also had to pay her back all the benefits that she missed out on and then the fact that she'd be getting this huge lump sum for a settlement well now that meant she's in this huge tax bracket so then the courts and the tribunal's also said, now you have to compensate her for that extra tax. So then you have to give her more money for her to pay that tax. I thought, boy, I wouldn't want to be the accountant who figures these things out. Mm -hmm. But but just imagine if they had just said, okay, this is not necessarily what we thought we would have to do, but you're right. We can probably find her a supervisory job and she seems quite competent. Mm -hmm. Um, What would that have cost you? What would that have cost you versus something that could be getting probably close to a million dollars in expenses? Wow yeah So so, 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 the, so the thing is I just say to, I just say to employers and unions if, if, if it's a unionized workplace, i say and anyone else just if you if you think you you have the, the answer, look again and, and by the way, it could be very clear this is an undue hardship. Um, you do not have to make that accommodation. It'll be unfortunate for the employee or this person. but the fact is that at least we've shown that we have tried and it just didn't work.
0: Yeah, that documentation is really important of noting what's been looked at. And I think when you get into those kinds of questions, seeking legal advice is always very proactive. And I know I've always found it helpful in just saying, what, what might this look like? You know, ideas that we may not have considered. You conclude with module 10. Four last issues, but I'm going to leave a little bit of curiosity for the listener. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I'm going to encourage uh, actually picking up your book, uh, which is available through your website. You're not going to find it on Amazon or in the bookstore, so you're going to need to work directly with Stephen. And um, it is an absolute excellent read and resource. Now, I also noted on your website that you've got um, other resources, uh, one being 26 weekly supervisory Tips, and then you also offer uh, twenty training videos and a training manual. And again, I think your your website is probably the best place for people to go to uh, access those uh, resources. And of course, you. And I've put all of that information on the show notes page for this podcast. You know, I was going to ask you if I missed anything, but I did miss your keynote. So I knew you had two on your website that you.
1: You yeah, do? well, they depending on on the, who the organization is, it's usually around um, human rights issues. So managing human rights at work, um, it's about the respectful workplace and issues of bullying and discrimination, uh, and and also just the changes that are happening, um, especially especially when we had um, uh, um, George Floyd who um, who was killed. And and then you know other things that have we've come to light for uh, First Nations people, including the unmarked graves and uh, the way that certain people are treated, and and so that when you've um, when you've got any of these things, then I also address um, some of the changes that are taking place about issues of racism and and inclusion and diversity, and so. The interesting things are those are things that we can pull off the shelf. But I usually say to people, what are the three things that you want people to do differently after they've heard me than they did before? Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to is what are the behaviors that you want to see changed? And then I just work with the clients and and come up with those answers, more or less. I use I use a lot of cases. People really like cases. The Books are full of cases. All, All my books are full of cases. Uh, and I learned that a long time ago, just with the CSI franchise in the States, the, uh, you know, the television show that uh, people, people just love cases. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I, I always say this is where we can learn from the mistakes of others.
0: It's it's real. So it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, sure. And I've seen Stephen speak and he's excellent. Um, so I can be a <laughs> testimonial for you. Now I've got a couple Thanks. more questions for you. One uh, sure. about the investigative process um, of actually looking into a complaint when it's been filed. Um, any best practices that you could share with the listeners, uh, perhaps about the documentation? Is it important? Um, what have you seen yes. done well? Yeah,
1: documentation is important, but this is something that I learned when I actually uh, was in law and then also when I was employing labor relations, is I'd say to people, That if you are spending an enormous amount of time documenting someone so that you can get rid of them, how about if you spend that same amount of time or perhaps even less on trying to get that person to improve? Now, if you're, if you're in human resources or if you're a supervisor or manager, you might be rolling your eyes and think, Stephen, you don't know what you're talking about. I've got this person who they're in pain and they're, you know, they're always turning up late. And look, if you've got someone that's not going to turn around, then at the end of the day, you say to the person, we either need to change your behavior or you can't work here. And, and, and you don't do that lightly because, you know, and, and the courts and the tribunals don't allow you to do it lightly. You have to give people the opportunity to change. So documentation is without a doubt is important. But I've even said to people, I said, the worst that happens if you don't have all of your documented stuff in a row, and you're really trying to work on this person, you can still document all of it, but you're working on this person to improve his or her behavior, then then the thing is that um, the worst that happens is that maybe you have to go back and get some more documentation. In other words, maybe it's not working out, and so you have to just get a little more documentation after the fact. So I just say work with people, be very clear about the expectations. Um, This is what you need to do. This is where you're falling short. This is what I need you to do. We need it done by these timelines. And if not, if not, then it it won't be a surprise. I always say to people, when you are uh, going to let a person go or actually talk to them about any kind of discipline, it should not be a surprise to the person you're Mm -hmm. talking to because you've been very clear all the way along. And so if you're doing an investigation, you also have to be really, really careful. Whoever is doing the investigation or helping out the process, you've got to make sure that you're not being biased. And there's one of the chapters, I can't remember exactly which uh, number the chapter is, but it's about a large employer in British Columbia, where I live. And, And they found out through the judge that the person who was leading the investigation just was wanting to lead it down the path to let this person go. And it ended up costing them a few hundred thousand dollars uh, for the penalties. And and that was actually capped because it was actually uh, within the provincial government. And the judge would have given more, but the legislation capped it, I think, at 18 months pay. But here was something in which the investigation was biased. So, you and, and I like I used to do investigations and then and no disrespect for the people who do investigations. I've got a great deal of, um, I got a great deal of respect for when they do it, but I just found that they were this gnarly mess that was going on. And it was, it was even very difficult for me to go in it. And I don't mind saying it's very lucrative because you charge, but under most circumstances, you charge by the hour. And if, if they, if you need to go down these rabbit holes, because there's other things going on you know, you got to tell the, you know, I'd have to tell the employer, look, uh, you know, I got to investigate a lot more people. If you want this done thoroughly, I'm not making it up because here's all the information that I'm Mm -hmm, giving you. mm -hmm. So it's a very lucrative thing to be able to do these investigations. Um, but I just found that emotionally, even for me, it was, it was too tough because it, it, I was coming in at a point where everything had broken down. And so again, do the investigations, they're, they're vital, but what can you do beforehand? And so that's actually when I stopped doing that. And then I would just refer to very competent people to do the investigations. And I doubled down on working with supervisors, managers, so that they were more effective. So therefore, you don't need the investigations. Now, I know it might sound simple, but it's the truth. If you are doing the work ahead of time, um, then you might not need any kind of investigation because you're going to be able to work it out. That's not always going to be the case, but you can try that.
0: I keep hoping that our work environments can be exactly that, that when the things come up, they are dealt with, they're dealt with quickly, and people feel that they can put up their hand and say, I've got something I need looked at, and it's done. So (laughs) I hear you. Uh, What about privacy considerations and compliance with the relevant legislation around freedom of information uh, and the protection of privacy? And again, thoughts or tips? Well, this
1: is, this is where you have to know where the line is. Um, I, I, I I have found that on issues of privacy, that some organizations have gone too far and they are worried more about the privacy than they are about the protection of the people who are being harmed. Um, But, you know, I leave that up to the organizations to decide where that is. This is where um, I don't mind saying that this is where talking to a lawyer or some other professional who knows exactly where the line is on the privacy and freedom of information and those kind of things. So it, it just becomes really important to make sure that you are finding out, you know, what has gone on and that you don't have to reveal that to people who don't need to be in the know. And that can be frustrating for some of the fellow employees who think, wait a second, I have the right to know this. And sometimes you might feel as though you do. Sometimes perhaps you, you do, and the employer isn't, isn't letting you know for your own protection. And other times it's no, you know, you might not be thrilled about it, but sorry, we we don't need to reveal this information to you in order to resolve the situation. Mm-hmm. But you know, and, and without being a cop-out about it. It's just, it's going to depend on the circumstances. It's going yeah. to depend on the fact situations.
0: Well, so much in an employee and labor relations does. It's very circumstantial. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what about statutes of limitation? I think there's been a change to timeframes for filing a complaint. <clears throat> Excuse me, now I've got the frog in my throat. With employment standards, um, what about human rights alleged violations? Is there a statute of limitation or a timeframe that complaints have to be filed?
1: Yeah, we human rights is done by jurisdiction within Canada. So 10 provinces, three territories in the federal government. And all of them are well, all of them are different, meaning that they're not all the same. Mm-hmm. And so it can be from as little as six months to as long as two years. And in all honesty, if, if it doesn't go as long as two years, it's only because because I'm not the one who's litigating it. I don't. I don't worry about exactly all those, those times, but it used to be that some, you know, the the shortest was six months and the longest was two years. The, the, the desire to have it for a shorter period is to say, this is about human interactions, human emotions. And therefore uh, we want it, we want you to bring it up sooner. It's not like it's a contract for, Um, you know a a piece of equipment Um, and so you can just look at the contract you can look at the equipment and and um, you know it it can be a longer period of time this is about people's emotions this is about people's personalities about the things they've said and done and so some of the memories can fade or memories will fade and so the idea is you can't hold on to this forever because the person should have an opportunity to defend themselves and it'll make it easier if it's not too uh, far down the road
0: Okay, thank you. Um, Do you see many unsubstantiated claims? And with these, have you perhaps observed underlying issues or concerns that might have provoked the filing of that complaint? Um, And if so, how do you... I think we've actually addressed it's like, handle it. (laughs) But do you see many unsubstantiated claims? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And and this is why...
1: This is why... We have to make sure that people's rights are protected. If I I make a complaint against you, it doesn't mean that it's the truth. It might be the truth, but it also might not. And if we we care about the fact that we live in a country that's governed by the uh, rule of law, then you've got to make sure that everyone's rights are protected. And and there's times where people get very frustrated because it's pretty obvious what has been done, and yet you got to make sure that we actually look at it. So when, when people say you, you have to believe every person who brings forward a complaint, well, no, you don't. And it, and it doesn't mean you dispute it right there. It means this is very serious. The allegations you're bringing forward are very important um, that we look into it and find out what has gone on and how it needs to be addressed. Now, if it happens right in front of you as the supervisor, You know, you got all the evidence that you need, Mm -hmm. but if it's, but, but, and by the way, it could be that it's not just that first time, maybe this person has been doing it to many other people. So you also need to look into that, but if it's not something that you were there, that you know exactly what's going on, then you got to look into it. And and again, maybe it could be a very informal thing in which you ask the person, did you say this and said, yeah, of course I said it. And here's the reason why, or here's the context that it was said. Mm -hmm. It could be that very informally, you might be able to resolve that. And so the thing is that just in the same way that there are complaints that are made in civil matters and criminal matters is that we still have to rely on the system that it has got to be proven in order to uh, take some action of some kind. So, yes, there are people who will um, uh, who will make complaints that are invalid. And that's why you will find not only in the law, but you will also find in every policy in the workplace that if someone makes a complaint that they know is not true, then there is there is and should be, from my opinion, there should be very um, uh, substantial penalties for that, Mm -hmm. because otherwise, when you allow people to just bring up lies or bring up things that are greatly exaggerated that will harm your reputation, um, that shouldn't be taken lightly. That, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, because because it brings the whole system into disrepute, then Mm -hmm. people feel as though, hey, anyone can make a complaint and, um, and get away with it without anything being substantiated.
0: Yeah, good points, thank you. So in your suggestions for the new norm, you provide a number of really great ideas about where we go from here. As examples, bite your tongue, Just worry about you and recognize that perfection is not the goal. Now, the just worry about you one is one that I highlight because I think it's something that we can each do that will make a positive difference. And it's about gossip. It is so easy to get caught up in gossip. And, you know, often it's about somebody or about something that somebody did. And you suggest that, and I'm going to quote, All you have to do is worry about what you say and do. Don't take part in gossip or unkind comments. And if someone wants to confide in you, politely say, no thanks. If others take your lead, soon the workplace gossiper will realize that there's no audience for those kinds of comments. And I think your example of your conversation with the colleague, um, who with the Archie Bunker example, when he said, I don't find that funny, It uh, was a great example of somebody standing up and, and um, taking a position. Can you tell us a little bit more about the tip that perfection is not the goal?
1: Well, yeah, no one is perfect. And it's, I always find it out, you know, kind of silly whenever we even say, okay, I'm not perfect. Well, let's stop with that standard. Because I think the only perfect thing was what was that alien movie where uh, Sigourney Weaver from a long time ago where it was a perfect killing machine. Other than that, there's nothing in, in the way of perfection. And 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 the rest of us are trying our best. And so if we want a standard that we are looking for absolute perfection or that everyone has got to be perfect or close to perfect, that that's a very tough thing to try to achieve. So you know what? We all make mistakes. We, I mean, I... Because I, I guess that I think I'm quick witted, that gets me in trouble sometimes because I'll say something in which I just wish I could grab those words and pull them back <laughs> and say, Stephen, you're not that witty. The good news is that I've learned not to say a lot more stuff in the first place. But yeah, don't, don't look for perfection. You know, the comments that you were saying about the gossip and, and, uh, and, and there's lots of times in which people say, well, first of all, when it comes to gossip. Every every workplace, every client who's about to hire me, I say, okay, what are the issues? What do you want me to address? Oh, gossip is really big here. Well, guess what? Everyone says that. Everyone does. So obviously, when we go to the grocery store and we see the very expensive um, real estate, um, which is right there at the counter, and it's all these gossip magazines, amongst other things, then you know that for some reason, our species seems to love that kind of stuff. So the, you know, so the thing is, I, when people say it's so big, you can't change it all. Look, you're right. You can't change it all yourself. Just you try to deal with it. If you're an individual, don't be part of the gossip. If you're a supervisor, don't allow it to go on. So you actually will have an influence of, of more people. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to worry about changing the entire organization. So just try your best to do what you can do. And then when you've got more and more responsibility... Then um, and, and if you uphold that where you, you, you just won't allow for gossip, <laughs> then just, you know, that will spread throughout the entire organization. I'm a killjoy when it comes to gossip. I am like um, I, if someone says something that they don't know is true, I will say that I'll say, how do you know that? Were you there? You know, like so, so people just learn. Don't talk to Stephen about gossip because he's no fun. And I take that as a sense of pride um, mm-hmm. that I'm not. So if everyone did that, then there wouldn't be the oxygen for a lot of gossip mm-hmm. in the workplace. But again, you know, we're, it's, it's not like I'm perfect about it because none of us are. Mm-hmm. And so when someone needs to call us on this
0: stuff, then we need to listen and learn from it. Good. Sounds good. Thank you. Now, for our listeners who are supervisors, you ask, do you think you give the kind of signals that would make someone feel comfortable to actually speak up after you give them the chance? And I think that's a really good reflection question. Like, are you actually creating that kind of environment? Do you have other tips for our listeners who oversee people as part of their job responsibilities beyond what we've talked about already?
1: Yeah. What's interesting about that quote that you read is that um, an awful lot of supervisors that I speak to at any level of managing people is most of them are like really good people. They're open to comments, criticism. They're open if if you need to talk to them about someone else who's a problem in the workplace. And they think they're completely open. And they might be. But if the employees who they supervise don't see that, and they just see that, oh, this person has got power, they can take away a good job for me. They can take away good hours or good shifts or or. They've got they've got this power over me. And when we look at the level of debt that Canadians have then a lot of people are thinking, I can't take a risk of losing shifts or losing a job. And so therefore they'll just suck it up and they won't say anything. So when it comes to the supervisors, just reiterate. That if there's anything going wrong, uh, set examples so that if, if someone does come to you with an issue that you don't dismiss it or you don't already have the answer to it, listen to what they're saying. You know, if it turns out that there's nothing to it, fine. Well, that's because you've actually looked into it or you've resolved it in some way. But the other thing I always find is to set the ground rules and stick to them. And that's really important. We got two new dogs um, in our lives, my partner and I. And it's so clear that just in the same way for training pets is the same way with human beings. If you, you know, if you set the ground rules and and you're very clear about this stuff, then you will get positive results. And, um, you know, and and I hope no one takes the bad analogy about uh, the dogs, but, but the fact is, I learned from a psych prof at the University of Manitoba, you know, decades ago, that he said it applies to people as it does dogs. And I came home and tried it with our dog at the time (laughs) and and found out that it worked, you know, work, positive reinforcement, all those kind of things. So the thing is, if you set the ground rules very clearly, and then if someone deviates from them or ignores them or goes against the rules, then you say, well, look, I've made this very clear. So let's get back to where the rules are. Either I need to talk to you about it or maybe there's going to be discipline if, it, if it's serious enough. But do you set the rules and you stick to them and then everyone knows those ground rules. Mm-hmm. And, and that way it's no surprise when you're calling people on bad behavior.
0: And that this takes practice. And, you know, it's it's like exercising a muscle. It, it just gets stronger and your ability to do this gets stronger over time. Um, so again, it's that you don't need to be perfect at that. And I think people are very forgiving as long as they see that you're trying. Yes. Now, a tip I noted in both your books is that it's important for us to recognize and acknowledge our own prejudices, as we all have them, and try to overcome them. And you mentioned about the investigator who had had biases and had taken the investigation down the a path that they wanted it to go. Now, I quote, if you're about to say something and it doesn't seem right, better to clam up than to get into trouble. And it's not what pops into our heads because we all have the thoughts. That was my, that was my editorial there. It's what words we speak and what actions we take. And I think that's a really great reminder is that even though, um, you know, some of that, our upbringing, some of the things that used to be okay, that aren't anymore, or they were never okay, but we didn't, we weren't being sensitive to that. Um, those are our realities, but as long as we recognize that and acknowledge those prejudices and then really work to overcome them, I think that's such an important point that you're making. I think it, and you know, it's really going to help with our... Oh, yeah. to recognize and stop this disrespectful behavior that uh, continues to happen in our work environments.
1: Yeah. Oh, it was a long time ago where I'm in this work and I'm going, Oh, I can't believe the things that pop into my head. And so I thought I'm this horrible person. And then I just realized, don't worry about what pops into your head, Stephen, just make sure you don't act on them. Mm -hmm. And that's the, you know, that's what you were saying. And that's the advice that I give to people. And, and, you know, if because of our stereotypes, we are acting on them, then we got to change that because if you get caught, that's going to be a real problem. And and it could be that it's not obvious what you're doing, but someone can look at the results and they're going to go on a balance of probabilities. Isn't this amazing when you have all these women that you are interviewing and, you know, over all these years you've hired one um, and yet you've got all these qualified women. I mean, you never say any disparaging things about women and yet the pattern will show that there's something wrong that's going on here. Again, if a complaint was brought up, for example, so don't worry about what pops in your head because we're not bad people. Uh, we're only bad if we act on them. And, and, and that becomes really important because there's just all kinds of stuff that because my upbringing and, and, and I think I had a pretty good upbringing. I think my parents, like I rarely, rarely heard anything prejudicial for my parents. I mean, you know, they weren't angels, but my goodness, I had that good upbringing and yet you know, just all the things around me um, are part of who we are, and I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the Dalai Lama. I don't care if you're, uh, you know, the Prime Minister or the uh, or the President of the United States. Or you we've all got prejudices. We all have stereotypes, and it's just that it's just that um, we don't want to be acting on them. So if, if if something actually comes up, then people need to speak up. And and by far the you know the biggest barrier we've got is that people aren't willing to speak up when something is wrong. That is absolutely, if someone, if someone asks you, what's the biggest barrier, what's the biggest, I say, speaking up. The ability for people to feel comfortable to speak up. It's just, um, that's one of the biggest problems that we got.
0: As I bring the podcast to a close, any last nuggets or things that we've not talked about, or I've not asked about that would help in creating those workplaces that We really do want to go to work with them.
1: Well, I think on my last point about speaking up is if you do not feel comfortable and maybe quite legitimately you have seen where when you speak up, it doesn't go well or someone else speaks up and you think, "Uh -uh, I'm not going down there. I saw what happened to my colleague. Um, Find a way, find a way to get to someone because you, you just don't find people in charge of organizations who say, oh yeah, I'm proud of the fact that people make disparaging comments and no one gets to address them. Like no one, no one does that in a senior position unless they are the problem and then they got a bigger problem going on. But most people run an organization, whether it's um, private, public or nonprofit, is they've got to run an organization. And so they expect all of the people that report eventually report to them all the way up the line is they expect them to have the same kind of values. So if, if you're getting roadblock in one spot, then there's usually, if not always, an alternative of some kind in order to talk to someone else within the organization, find out who that is. And, and then if it's not working internally, then you can always go externally. You can always mm-hmm. go to, if it's a human rights issue, if it's employment standards, if it's something you go to a court and you know you'd go through legal representation of some kind, you can always do that. But remember how I said, you want to avoid that where you can, just know that if something is bad enough, you've got to find some way, you've got to find a pattern, um, some sort of path to find that, uh, to deal with that.
0: And in a lot of organizations, that might be a human resources department or a union, um, perhaps a colleague who is more comfortable having a conversation who could be your your ally. Um, So again, thank you um, and great points. So to our listeners, I know I have benefited by being taught by Stephen, and have very much appreciated the lessons and the tips uh, provided by the two books that I own and rely on very heavily in my personal library. So I encourage you minimally to buy Stephen's book, The New Norm, A Manager's Guide to Improving Workplace Behavior and Keeping Out of Legal Hot Water. I know his training programs are fun. They're down to earth, and they really do help us better understand the practices and the behaviors that we need to do better, and to create the kinds of workplaces that we and our teams want to work with This stuff isn't easy. And it's so nice to know that people like Stephen have chosen to make this their work to help us ensure that the changes we need to make are done and done well. Thank you, Stephen, for agreeing to be with us here today. You're welcome. For the fabulous work that you do. You're based in British Columbia in Victoria your training program is modular and so available online and i think uh, so are your supervisory tips and your training manual and i think if people register on your website i know i get these wonderful little tips that pop into my email once in a while is that just by registering on your email or your website
1: yes yep okay they can Fair. they can get uh, they can get a number of the tips that are available and they come i think
0: i think they come every three weeks Yeah. They're they're great. My
1: technical guy uh, takes care of all that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you must write them because they're fabulous. Yeah. Um, And I can also attest that you're a fabulous speaker. Thanks. But it is time for us to both fly and we need to bring this podcast to a close. We both hope that you found today's session interesting and helpful to listen to. I'm going to be back again next week. I hope you will join me again as you, you guessed it dare to soar. Susan and Stephen signing out. Bye for now. Thank you again, Stephen. You're welcome. Have a great day, everybody. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review. Whatever your favorite social media sites are, If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susanginae at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.